Hello, church family. I'm sure you guys are so surprised to see me up here. For one, I'm kind of like that boomerang that just keeps coming back. And two, I think for years I've pretty much said I'm not a public speaker, so I would never do this. This isn't the first time that I've been asked to, to be on this stage, and I, um, I've said no every time because of the reason that I'm not a public speaker. So... It's a pure miracle that I am here today, that I am up on this stage. I'm going to tell you that several years ago, uh, Matt asked me after service to do the announcements the following week. And if Matt has ever asked you to do something like this, then you know how this goes. But if you haven't, I'll just let you know. It's something like this. He walks up to you after service and he says, uh, so I know that you're going to be really great at this. I'm going to write your name down, and next week you're going to do the announcements. It's super easy. You're, you're going to be great, and, um, and you just have to read the announcements off this piece of paper, and then you just say a prayer, and, and you're done. It's no big deal. I'm going to write your name down, okay? Blank stare, because I don't know what just happened. I, my name got written down on a piece of paper and I'm supposed to do something next week. And it's really not until the next day that you're kind of like, did that happen? I'm, I'm going to get on this stage and I'm going to read from a piece of paper. I don't think I can do this. And so the whole week you're kind of battling with, it is so easy to read off a piece of paper, to say a prayer. You can do hard things. You can do this. And the other side saying, there is no way you're going to do this. You will throw up right there in front of everyone. You cannot do this. And I'm going to tell you the day, it, it came down to the very day. That day, I think it was the middle of July, and I woke up with the flu. Pretty much certain it was the flu because my stomach hurt. I thought I was going to be sick. I was pale. I was dizzy. Pretty sure everything in my body hurt. I did not want to do the announcements. But then that guilt of... He said you would be good at it. It's just reading a piece of paper. You can't cancel on him now because who's he going to get? Well, I'm going to tell you, it's super easy. You just grab anyone from the crowd and they can do the announcements. But I remember getting up here and I held that piece of paper. And it was shaking so bad, so violently. I couldn't read it. The paper was useless. So I don't know what my announcements were that day. I read something. I said something, and as the words came out, I finally realized I was on the last announcement, and all I had to do was say a prayer, and, and I can do that because all y'all's eyes are closed during prayer time, so no one's going to be looking at me. I can do it. I'm almost done. The light's at the end of the tunnel. I finish. I get five words into that prayer, and bless her heart, Risa. She's on the keyboard. She starts playing a little tune in the background of my prayer. I don't know if you've ever said a prayer where someone is playing music in the background, but it takes the emotional level to a whole nother thing. My kids will tell you that I am quite emotional when it comes to music, when it comes to a message, when it comes to a special movie. It doesn't matter. This emotion just comes over me and tears start coming out. I can't stop it. It will soon pass, and everything moves on. And I'm going to give you a fair warning. It might happen right here today. I can't stop it. So I, uh, I remember thinking this, though. As she started playing, I thought, all you need to do is lean forward. So the tears will go right to the floor. Their eyes are all closed. No one will see you. 
the tears will hit right to the floor and as soon as you're done praying the moment will have passed no mascara running I'm good to go I get off the stage as fast as I can I'm pretty sure the first thing out of my mouth when I sat back down next to Barry was that was so much harder than I thought it was going to be I'm never doing it again but miracles happen and here we are I think that over the last six or seven years, God and I have really been on this journey. And it's not always comfortable when you go on a journey with God. But I, most of it's been pretty, you know, like I babble talk and he talks back. I, I feel him talking back. I don't know. Um, I think when you know, when God does talk to you, you know. He gets your attention. It's the stop right where you are. A peace comes over you. You feel it. You know it. I don't know if that's ever happened to any of you, but it's happened to me a few times in the last several years, and it's unmistakably God. It's something that has come only as I've deepened my relationship with him. It's only come with time and with getting into the word, getting into Bible studies. The things that I put into my, into my mind are the things that come out. So the music choices that I listen to, the podcasts, the, the things I watch on Netflix or on TV, I do them a little bit more with intention now and things to build my, that relationship with Jesus Christ. Over this last year, though, at the beginning of the year, we choose a word, my Bible study group, we choose a word for the year, and my word was surrender. And I really thought I was surrendering, like, my business stuff, like certain little things. But as the year progressed, I think he dug down deep and, like, really started working on some of those stories, some of those things in our past, some of those struggles that we've buried down deep. So that's what we're going to talk about today, is some of those struggles, some of the things that we go through in life, and how they affect us, and what we can do with them, or what maybe we never do with them. So I've made three categories. These are just sandy categories. It's no scientific thing, but the three categories are that struggle that you have that you really don't deal with completely, but you deal with it enough that it doesn't affect everything in your life. And really, you've stepped away enough from it that you've shoved it down deep and you've walled it off and sealed it up really tight. And those things, as long as that dam doesn't break, as long as nothing cracks that wall, you're good. It's going to be okay. You can live the rest of your life with that thing walled off. Then we have this story that, or this struggle that we really deal with. And maybe we go to therapy and maybe we work through it with Christ, but we've really done something with it. And, and we get to a point in our life where we can look at that struggle and we can see something good in it. We can see that, uh, that God was in it with us. We can see that there's something to be grateful for. There's something we're a better person because we went through that struggle. Maybe our relationship is a little deeper because of that struggle. And I, I'm going to call that the little white box. So we, we put those things in a little white box and we put it down deep and put it aside. We really don't have to like do anything with it. It can just be there because it's not really affecting us. And in fact, if it's affecting us at all, it's affecting us in a positive way. The third little way, the third category is that thing that's still growing. We've never dealt with it. We've never walled it off. We've never put it in a white box, but it still affects us. So we're still kind of dealing with it. And some of this stuff happens way back in our childhood. Some of it's in our young adulthood. Some of it is something that happened just a month ago. But whatever it is, it's just that struggle that affects you. And as it grows and as it, it, it affects how we see the world, how we interact with people, it affects our family. It affects the choices that we make. 
And so that's kind of where it hit me that, you know, sometimes we have to go through and we have to clean house. And that's where I titled this sermon or this talk today. I'm not calling it a sermon. I'm just calling it a talk. But I've titled it today, Clean House, because sometimes we just need to go through and we need to clean out some of the garbage. It's Christmas time, and usually around Christmas time, it's a good time to start getting rid of the broken toys. If you have the little kids, you have to get rid of the broken toys, the stuff that doesn't work anymore. Throw those things in the trash, or you put them in the box in the closet until the kid doesn't ask for them anymore, and then you can get rid of them. And the stuff that doesn't fit anymore, the, the things that don't work that they don't play with, you need to donate them and give them to someone else, let them use them. So sometimes we have to go through life and we have to clean house. This is especially true in certain places of your house, like the pantry or a refrigerator, right? That's more regular. So if I go to the grocery store and I come home and I put all my groceries away and everything's in the pantry and all is good, a couple of days go by and I walk into the pantry and maybe I smell a little something. You know, I, I just went to the grocery store, everything's pretty good, but I'll go through it a little bit and check the dates and throw some stuff out that's been expired that I didn't see before. There's a bag of potatoes there, but I just bought them, and so I know it's not that. And I just kind of look around and feel like, well, maybe it's my nose. I don't know. So I come back a day or two later, and when I open the pantry door, the smell is real. And, and so I, I, I walk into the pantry and think, well, I just bought all this. I went through it. I got rid of some stuff. But now I guess I'll go through it again. And I start looking through. I even pick up that bag of potatoes, and I look at it a little closer, but there's, I don't see anything wrong with it. And I just bought them. They're new. So I put them back down. Now I'm going to get some Clorox wipes, Clorox wipes out. I'm going to wipe it down. Well, now it smells better. Now we have a Clorox lemon smell, and that seems to suffice. So all is well in the pantry until a few days later. This time, you don't even have to open the pantry door. You just walk into the kitchen, and you smell it. And not only are you walking into the kitchen because your kids are coming down for breakfast, the husband's coming in the back door, and they all smell it. And you kind of feel responsible because the pantry and the grocery shopping is kind of what I do. It's kind of my thing. And so that's my area that smells, and now they all know it. They all see it, unless, unless it's a mouse from your attic. Yep from the attic that has fallen down in the wall, and now it can't get out. So it died. And we are going to endure this smell that is not from my pantry, but from the mouse that was in your attic, and we blame it on something else. It's not until I have a little bit more time in the day that I know I should really check the potatoes, that I pick them up, and I look at them, and I pull them out, and I start digging them out one at, one, one at a time. Here's the thing about potatoes. If you have a rotten one, it doesn't, it's not just one. It affects it all. And because I've waited several days before I even looked at it closely, I'm taking them out one at a time, and I'm washing every potato, and I'm setting it on a towel. Now it has to sit there all day to dry, because if you put a wet potato back into a bag, you're just asking for disaster all over again. And so I wash them one at a time, and go through them one at a time until I find the one that's bad. But by this time, it's... One, that one's got to go in the trash can, but there's two or three around it. That I either have to throw them away or I have to cut off bad spots. 
and I clean them all and make sure everyone is, is okay, and I let them dry, and at the end of the day, I make sure, I check them, I roll them periodically, I make sure they're completely dry, and I don't dare put it back into the same bag. I'm going to put it into a different bowl, and I'm going to put them back in the pantry. So it's not only until then that God can take something that's in our life that not just only affects us, but it can affect the people around us. It can start to affect the relationships that we have. It affects our relationship with him. It skews how we view things. We start blaming other people or other possibilities because we don't want to think it's the bag of potatoes. What if God could take those stories and what if he could do something amazing with them? Lord, we know that you are here today. We feel your presence. And I just ask that you open the ears and the eyes of everyone that's here and that's watching from home. And Lord, we just ask that you speak through me, that you use me as your empty vessel, that whatever needs to be said and whatever needs to be heard, that you are there, that it is only from you. So, Lord, be in this place. Be with these people and change someone's life. Amen. I told you that the tears are real. They happen. All right, we, I don't do anything ordinary. So, you know, it would seem we're near Christmas, and I should do something about the Christmas story, but I don't do anything ordinary. I don't tend to do anything small. So we are going to talk about the Easter story. <laughs> so why not, right? We're going to start um, with talking about a little bit of the Peter, a little bit more about Peter's personality. We're going to talk about th this, where I'm starting is going to take place. They're, they're at the Passover dinner, right? So the Last Supper, Jesus is there. They're all kind of hanging out, and Jesus starts to tell them, do we have it up on the screen? If you can put the scripture up on the screen, that'd be great. It's just easier for me to see it if I read it from here. Then Jesus said to them, we're not. Did it move? Oh, I see what happens. Okay. Then Jesus said to them, all of you will fall away because it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Peter told him, even if everyone falls away, I will not. So let's take a pause real quick and say that Peter is pretty confident. Peter is confident that no matter what happens, I'm right here. I'm sticking with you. You see, at the time, Peter has the confidence because everything has been going really well. Jesus had started his ministry only a few years before. He gathered up all of these mis misfits of people, including Peter. And it's been more of like one-on-one -on -one teaching with Jesus. It's been more intimate. They've had this relationship. They've heard all of his stories and his teachings. They see that the crowds are growing bigger. Now it's not an intimate setting anymore. It's major crowds. And the disciples are having to push people aside so that Jesus can even walk through. Jesus is talking about this kingdom and they don't fully understand what he's talking about. But they know that they want to be part of the kingdom too and they can see that it's happening something big is really happening and so they believe that they're heading in the right direction they know what's coming and they're very confident Peter is just very confident 
Truly, I tell you, Jesus said to him, today, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will have denied me three times. But he kept insisting, if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And they all said the same. Peter is extremely confident. And this is like us sometimes in life. We get so confident. We can see the goal. We can see what's coming next. We can see that marriage that we've really worked day in and day out on, and it's going good. We've got a retirement plan. We've got goals after these kids go to college. It's heading in the right direction. We've got these little babies that we've raised up from toddlers. They're now teenagers. You've breathed the life of Jesus into them every day. They should be good to go. That job that you have, that you're up for the next promotion, and everything is working in sync, right? You've got your 401k plan, you've got your paid vacation and your health care plan, and everything is going according to how you think it should go. Sometimes things change, don't they? If we skip ahead to verse 66, I'm reading from Mark uh, 14, sorry about that. Mark 14, we're going to skip ahead to verse 66. You see, Jesus had already left the supper and he had gone to the garden to pray with, the, with some, of the, some of the disciples. Jesus, Judas had already left to go, and we know that he was going, he already had a plan to, to betray Jesus. And Jesus had already been arrested there in the garden, and he had been taken down. And Peter is now in the courtyard. While Peter was in the courtyard below, one of the high priest's maid servants came. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with Jesus, the man from Nazareth. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about. And that is exactly like us. When things are going the way that they should go, the way that we've always planned them to go, and we can see the goal, we can see the light, we know this is all right. And then it changes. Peter's world had shifted and it had changed. And everything that Jesus had been talking about was starting to crumble and Peter didn't understand it. The ground he was standing on was, was shaking and it was falling apart and he couldn't get a good grip and his world was spinning and it was out of control. He wasn't sure what was going to happen next, but he knows that everyone around him where before they had been asking for Jesus, trying to see Jesus, following Jesus. He had fed 5,000 not long before this. Everyone was loving Jesus. And then all of a sudden, everyone around Peter in the courtyard, they were asking for Barabbas to be released and to Jesus to be crucified. Everything was changing for Peter, so much so that he didn't know what she was talking about. He didn't know what was going on. He didn't know what was happening in his life or even what the next step would be. Then he went out into the entryway and the rooster crowed. It doesn't even see, say that, that Peter realized that the rooster crowed or that he acknowledged it. Then the maidservant saw him again. She began to tell those standing nearby, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing there said to Peter again, you certainly are one of them since you are also a Galilean. In Matthew, Matthew says, your speech 
gives you away. And isn't that true that when you spend a little bit of time with Jesus, that you're, something about you changes. The way that people see you, the way that you look, the way that you find gratitude in things that other people don't see anything to be grateful for. The way that you speak, it all changes and there is something that Jesus does that. He changes a little bit of something in us and other people recognize it and they can see it too. So I just think that's ironic that Matthew said, your speech gives you away. But Peter's gonna go back to his old ways. You see, I think with Peter, before he met Jesus, he was a fisherman, a sailor, sailor. And I think that his lifestyle and his language was probably really colorful. And so he reverts back to that. Um, hang on just a second. When the maidservant saw him again, she began to tell those standing nearby, and this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing nearby, certainly you are one of them, since you are also a Galilean. Then he started to curse and swear. I don't know this man you are talking about. Immediately a rooster crowed for the second time, and Peter remembered what Jesus had said, what the words he had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will have denied me three times. And he broke down and wept. See, this isn't the same Peter that was a fisherman and very cocky and hot-headed. It isn't the same Peter that jumped out of a boat and walked on water with confidence. It's not even the same Peter who only hours before had drew, drew his sword and chopped off the ear of a servant as they arrested Jesus. This is a broken Peter. This is one whose world has crumbled down around him. And everything is out of control. And he weeps and he is broken, just like a lot of us. And there's probably someone here or someone watching that is in that same place now. But Peter has a choice. He has a choice to follow Judas and to take his life. He has a choice to sit in it try to examine what's going on. I can only imagine that he went back and kind of reflected on some of the things that Jesus had said. Kind of trying to put everything into, into perspective. We have a choice. You know, when people say, throw their hands up and they say, well, God is in control. I don't know. I don't know what I need to do about it. God is in control. I don't think that God is in control of every little thing that we do because that doesn't give us choice. God wants us to choose him. He wants to have that relationship with us. And the only way to really build that true relationship is for us to have a choice. I don't believe that God is there saying, five more hours on social media this week, you've been keep scrolling. You're not done yet, Sandy. Keep scrolling. You need another 30 minutes today on social media. I don't believe that he is in control of what we watch on Netflix or how much we binge watch. See, if God was in control of every little thing that we did, his choice would not be Netflix and social media. His choice would be us getting into the word. His choice would be us going to, to Bible study. 
His choice would be us working on our relationship with him. So we do have a choice. He wants us to have that choice to build that relationship. Because see, only in that relationship is where when we're in the struggle, we can find him. That he sits there beside us. See, it's, it's when we're in the struggle, in that darkness, in that pit, that I just have to believe that Jesus is sitting right beside me. That when I'm crying and I'm hurting, he's crying and he's hurting. He feels it just like I feel it. And I just imagine his hand out. And all I have to do is just grab it. See, if you grab that hand and you hold on tight, he'll lead you out. He can bring you out of any darkness. I also like to think that when Jesus is with us and right beside us when good things happen, like on your wedding day or when you have that first baby or when you get a job promotion, every little thing in your, as in your life, every aspect, all of the good times, when I'm ready to jump up and down and my heart is beating out of my chest and I'm so happy, he is right beside me jumping up and down, so happy, laughing, enjoying every aspect of our life. That's the relationship he wants with us. So I'm wondering if over the next couple of weeks, you could look back at some of the things in your life, some of the struggles, some of the stories, some of the things that you've crushed down and put behind a wall and you never really dealt with, and some of those things that are good stories that you've fully dealt with, and you've packaged them in that white box and you've put them away. I'm wondering if you could go back in your life and kind of see some of those things and just see, is there anything positive that came from it? Is there anything that you could be grateful for that you went through that struggle? Because the event itself was probably horrible. It was probably sin and darkness that Satan brings to this earth. And sometimes I think we don't give Satan enough credit. We think when bad things happen, God, why did you do this? Why did you let this happen? Why didn't you stop it? See, see is a bigger picture that we don't see. We just see what's right in front of us, and the day-to-day -day is just so small. It doesn't always look really pretty, but if you can take a step back, it's actually a beautiful tapestry that he's putting together. And it's not just your life that it's affecting, but it's those around you that it affects too. So I'm wondering if we gave all of our stories over to Jesus, what that would do, what that would look like, what Jesus would do with them, because I know he wants things good. He wants to do something good with every aspect of our story. If we skip to 1 Peter, verse 12, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 13. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. Even through the struggle, he wants us to find something to be grateful for. We can see it in the Old Testament as well. In Genesis uh, chapter 50, verse 20, if we can put that on the screen because I don't have it. This is from a different uh, version. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this outcoming that many people would be kept alive as they are this day. He wants something 
good to come out of every bad thing in our life. See, sometimes those struggles in our life, they don't just affect us. You work through them, and maybe you get therapy, and you box them away, but it's not until you can bring out those stories and share them with someone else that it can change their life, too. And over this last year, I mean, he's been hitting me hard, digging out some of the old things, some of the things I've put away in a nice little white box. And through a series of weird events over the summer, I was involved in an online book club. And this book club was brought on by a lady that I knew in my childhood. See, I was raised in a children's home, and my parents were house parents there. I wouldn't change a thing about my childhood. I'm extremely grateful for the way I was raised. It's given me the heart that I have today. It's given me empathy and compassion. So I wouldn't change anything. But when I was six or seven years old, I had a little girl that was my roommate, and she's 10. I'm six, seven, she's 10. So it was amazing to have the sister. I only had brothers, and then I had all these kids living in my house calling my mom and dad, mom and dad. You, a lot of fun to be had, a lot of crazy drama too, but I had a roommate. I didn't always get a roommate because I didn't always put an older kid in my room, but she was 10. So I instantly had this best friend, this older sister that I could look up to. But people don't come to the children's home because their life is great at home. So some things had happened in her childhood. Some really dark things had happened. And in turn, she took those things and she used them on me. And I remember as a kid thinking, this isn't right, this isn't good, but I don't know what I'm supposed to do because she was 10, right? I looked up to her. And after about a year, she went back home to whatever situation she had come from, I'm not sure. And it wasn't until I was probably a teenager that I felt a lot of shame and a lot of guilt. And I had to work through some things. And it wasn't comfortable. And it changed who I was. It changed my interaction with people. But when I became an adult and had kids of my own, then I realized that six-year-old little girl, that brain isn't made to deal with that stuff. That little girl wasn't made. Six years old, she's not made to know what to do. She wasn't made to deal with that kind of junk. And it wasn't until then that I realized that 10-year-old girl, she wasn't made for that either. She wasn't made to deal with stuff in her life that she had had to deal with. She wasn't made to have to fix things like that. She wasn't made for that. Her spirit wasn't made for that. So it was only as an adult that I'm here to tell you that I was able to work through some of those things with God and give complete forgiveness to that 10-year-old girl. And it's even to this day when I think about this, 
I pray for her. I hope this isn't something in her life that has continued to be a struggle. I hope she's been able to deal with it. I hope she's been able to put it in a white box. I hope it's brought her some good. And then you go one step further and you ask for forgiveness for whoever did those things to her. Because this becomes a cycle. And until you really fix it, until you recognize it as that, it just stays a struggle. See, I'll, I'll get back to that book club from the summer. I just, this book club, it brought out this story again. And I just kept feeling God say, this isn't about you. And I kept saying, it was about me. It was all about me. But he kept saying, it's not about you. And so I called Eileen and I said, what do I do with this? I, it just, I, it's not about me. I don't know what I'm supposed to, what do I do with this? And I remember her saying, do you feel like you need to tell your story? And my response was, well, I just told it to you, and I don't really feel like this therapeutic release. I think that I could, you and I, could both take this to our graves, and I'd be perfectly fine with that. I don't feel like I need to tell this story. Then the next couple of months, in talking to different women, this same story just kind of organically would come up. And it would lead down a road that I just felt led to share some of that story. And immediately, I could see a change in their face. I could see a, a change in their demeanor. I could see the pain in their eyes. I could hear it in their voice. I could see it in their tears. It was like I had just broke through that wall that they had walled up or hit a nerve of something that they're still struggling with. And I wasn't until then that I realized this story is not about me. I could take that story in this little white box with this beautiful bow and I could take it to the grave. And I'd be perfectly fine. I probably wouldn't be any different of a person because of that. But I can see that by me telling that story, it changed someone else. It gave them hope. It gave them understanding. It hopefully gave them the ability to give themselves forgiveness. Give other people forgiveness. It's sometimes not until we really work through those things that you can make your story his story. Your struggle, our struggles, God's story. And he wants to do that with us. I don't know what your story is today. I don't know what pain you've been through, but God does. And it doesn't matter if you have brought that pain on yourself by the choices you've made. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to him if someone else has inflicted that pain on you or if you've brought it on yourself. He loves you just the same. And he wants to do something amazing in your life. But sometimes we get in our own way and we say, I'm not a public speaker. I'm not a public speaker. And it isn't until we can move out of our own way and let him work in your life that you can see some of these gifts that he's given you that you didn't even know you had. 
He can bring things out of you that you didn't know you had. And it's time that you believe that you are enough. Believe that you are special. Believe that you have talents and gifts that he wants you to use in every aspect of your life. Believe that you can make a difference in this world. Believe that this world needs you. Believe that he can change your story and he can make it his story.